Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Thank you for asking me to be on this, by the way. Of course. Yeah, I I um I love your I love your page. I love your Instagram. I love all the things that you talk about. It's very varied, but I like the I like the way you handle yourself, you know, especially the thirst trap photos. Those are my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody described me as all over the place and not put together. And I was like, maybe that's accurate, but uh, I am a multifaceted human being and I cannot organize myself. So what can I say? Whatever. (laughs) It's working for you. So just keep it up. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Kiona, Dr. Kiona. She has a PhD, MS, MA. She's the founder of the award-winning digital platform, How Not to Travel Like a Basic Bitch, which was launched in 2016. Seeing the deficits in academia, where rarely brown and black people are deemed experts in their own cultures and access to higher education is placed behind a huge paywall, She created a platform that does the opposite. She travels the world spotlighting different cultures, redefines the expert, and uplifts marginalized voices, hosting and teaching publicly streamed lessons for free on a gift-based model, making global education accessible to anyone with a smartphone. Her work has gotten her Travel Content Creator of the Year by Audacity Fest and World's Best Influencer by Voters Travel. In addition, her travel expertise has gotten her features in Outside Magazine, Huffington Post, Washington Post, Pop Sugar, Next Shark, and many more. She's been the keynote speaker at the Cosmos Summit, diversity expert panelist at World Travel Market, and moderator at Misfits Fest. She hosts a bi-weekly podcast called How Not to Travel, which has hit top 10 in UK, Ireland, USA, France, and Australia. She also has taken her educational classes offline and does monthly education trips to Cuba, where her study abroad program is sold out a year in advance. She also runs a a mentorship program called How Not to Grad School Like a Basic Bitch, which facilitates people of color getting into graduate school on fully funded programs. Born and raised in Hawaii and of mixed race, Korean and Austrian descent, She frequently discusses the intentional erasure of Asian history, voices, and representation and advocates for Asian and Pacific Islander Americans in the media. Kiona, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. My assistant actually wrote that bio and he did a pretty good job. Yeah, you crushed it. (laughs) I mean, you've done so much with your life. It's, It's kind of like, I don't know, it's cool that you're just constantly like advocating and sharing. I feel like that seems to be the through line with everything you're doing is like you're learning, but then you're bringing it to other people and empowering other people too. That's cool. Yes, exactly. Learning is fluid. Yeah, for sure. And of course, so on your Instagram, that's how I originally found you. You, you know, you do hit on multiple topics and, um, there's always just something that I can learn. Um, and I I feel like anybody who's going on can learn no matter their background or where they're coming from. Um, I feel like you just kind of have something for everyone, which is, which is really great. So, uh, before we really get into it, can you just tell us a little bit more about how not to travel like a basic bitch as, you know, the program or the podcast? What what was the inspiration for it? It started in 2017, but why why is that? Why is the travel part so important to you? That's really, really important to ask. Um, so 
first of all, it started as a joke (laughs) to preface this because like, I did not expect for it to be like my full-time thing. I probably would not have named it what I did. (laughs) I am very grateful for my name. It does a lot of like weeding out of basic Mm. bitches. So it's great. Um, but also it can come off as abrasive and people have the wrong idea of basic bitch, whatever. I don't care. (laughs) But, um, I, it has like since evolved. So, um, I started off as a joke, like just, I was traveling a lot and just seeing like a lot of disrespect when I was traveling. Um, and a lot of people looking to hang out with people like themselves rather than learning or, um, giving value to the locals there and their knowledge and their expertise. Yeah. And so I think, I I think I was hitting on that. Um, but it took a while, you know, cultivate that at first I would like make fun of their clothes they look like potato sacks or they like Mm. wear fanny packs and all these things but I think I like have evolved I definitely have evolved since then I don't really like what I was really hitting on was like their mentality on how they approach things and how they like aren't able to check their privilege yeah yeah um but I mean in the process I realized that I was the basic bitch and Mm -hmm. um when I was writing about locations, I was not doing anything different than the other travel bloggers in the world. Um, even though they're like predominantly like they were at the time they were like white girls. Um, and I was like, Oh, I'm going to like do it different. I'm going to do it like hip and like sassy and like me, which is like how, you know, non-white people speak, I guess, or maybe some do, but, um, (laughs) but then I was like, you know, I'm just like, it's just like a diversifying this colonial mindset of like me still writing about other places instead of people from that place writing about that place. Mm -hmm. So I just totally switched it up past the mic. And so now I like stream lessons um, from experts in their field from all over the world. And most of them have academic training and also like ancestral knowledge. So, you know, they're, they're double. They're both uh, have lived experience as well as academic experience. Yeah. Um, and the reason why travel was so important was like travel was the way I was connecting all of these things and Mm. travel spans everything like travels political, um, you know, like who gets to travel, why we get to travel, um, locations like form location and geography form like, uh, certain barriers to access or they have different ways of life that uh, we could all learn from. Um, things like that. And that like travel just covered everything from like culture to politics, to budgeting, to pretty much everything. So the travel aspect, and also it's like just more fun to look at travel photos. Yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm curious. So like did growing up in an island state, did that kind of inform your will to travel a lot? I mean, because obviously like you have to fly to get anywhere other than Hawaii. And so like, does that, did that make it almost easier for you because you already knew that that was the only option originally or was your travel actually inspired by your will to go out and see these different aspects of the world and politics and in socioeconomic stuff? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, being on an Island, I didn't really travel that much because of exactly what you said. It's really expensive to leave the islands. Um, and also like people are very poor in Hawaii. Like I was not, I'm not an exception to that. Um, and so we would leave just to visit my dad's family in Austria, but mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. What inspired me to start traveling was I got a scholarship to study abroad in Spain and my grandfather, um, lives in Austria and I'm about to show my white side really large <laughs> and fast, but my grandfather, uh, owned a yacht at the time. And like a yacht is just any boat larger than 40 feet. So it was like old and wooden and creaky, but it's so classified as a yacht and oh. it sounds fancy. <laughs> um, but he owned a yacht at the time and he was retired. He's a sailor. And so he would like take people on trips and that's how he made money in his retirement. Oh, cool. And so, um, and like he was starting to get Alzheimer's. And so my dad just sent me, he was like, well, while you're over there, like you need to go on this last trip with your grandfather before like he can no longer sail. And like, you've never sailed before. So go do it. Yeah. And in that process, I, I mean, I was miserable on the boat, like looking back on it, but I had the best time. Um, like it was a lot of water, like a lot of blue all of the time. And I was yeah. like, I just want to get off of this ship. 
Um, but to see my grandfather live his life so full. So like we would stop over at like in Sorrento, Italy, and he would take his, you know, clothes to get washed. And like the laundry lady knew him and like all the people at the docks knew him. And, you know, he had like gathered like a little community. And then we like sailed on to like Malta and in the water, like, I guess a, a boat had flagged us down. And I was like, how do you know people like in the middle of open waters? Like I'm so confused. Yeah. And then, and like, they like, you know, linked, linked up with our boat, like passed over like a bottle of wine. Like my Aww. grandfather played, I know my grandfather was playing like, you know, cards with them, have a chat. And then like, we went, kept sailing on our way. And then we finally ended up in Tunisia where my grandfather docked his boat and it was like a whole freaking welcoming committee of like people being like, Oh my gosh, so glad to see you again. Like, let's go here. Let's go there. Like wow. wanting to go party with my grandpa. And I was That's like, so cool. And like, you know, and they're all switching between like languages, like between like Italian or Arabic or German or like, it was just so cool to see him cultivate such a strong community wherever he went. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I want a life like this. Like, yeah, literally everybody loves him wherever he goes. He's able to like pretty much have a home anywhere. Mm. And it and it was clear that these people, like he had invested in these people. So these people had invested into him. Yeah. Right. It wasn't like a shallow relationship, you know? Right. Do you feel like you can cultivate that kind of relationship with people in the States? Because I mean, with him, he was living in Austria at the time, right? Yeah. So, like, do you feel like you can cultivate that kind of relationship here in the States? Or is that something that's, like, very European? Because that feels, to me, with the people that we've met and the places that we've gone, like, mm-hmm. even just up in Canada, I feel like there's there's a lot more of that communal, like, it's it's not so, like, it has to be right in front of your face. Those people have to be right in your direct community to to be worth maintaining a friendship with them. And and that just feels special to me, like, getting outside of getting outside of the things that we know around here and, and establishing yeah. relationships that are a little bit more long-term and, and, and endearing like that. Yeah, I think that's really cool that you um, asked that question because I think you can, but it's very, very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think I realized that when I was I was dating this guy in Cuba and he heard, I was on the phone with him and he heard a dog barking outside. Yeah. And I was um, in my neighborhood and he was like, uh, hey, like whose dog is that? And I was like, I don't know, like one of my neighbors. And he was like, well, how do you not know, like, whose dog it is? Like, they live, <laughs> like, on your street. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't go into my neighbor's houses. Yeah. But, like, where he's from, like, everybody's door is open. People are sitting on their porch. Like, yeah. it's multi-generational families living in one house. So, like, everybody is family. It's very communal. You can, like, you know, not have to watch your kid all the time. And you can, because, like, the whole neighborhood's watching your kid. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, man... And it made me miss Hawaii because I was like, this is how it was in Hawaii. Like my mom, like I left the house and like, as long as I was back before dark, like she wasn't worried about me and she could call any of the houses on the street and like somebody knew where I was. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like I'm missing that here. Like, I feel like I can't, I don't know. There's like a community aspect that's missing in the United States. And I think a lot of that has to do with like our government and politics and our mindsets and all of those things. But like, it's true. I... I like don't feel comfortable just walking over to my neighbor's house. Right. I mean, for sure. You know, like I would never like walk into their backyard and play with their dog. Yeah. Um, Especially like I haven't live in Texas. Like you can get shot that way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But I miss it. Um, But I think there are pockets. Like every time I visit Navajo Nation, Mm -hmm. um, which I guess is like a sovereign entity within the United States, but like they're so welcoming. Like it's like a party every time I come. Like they feed you and, and, you know, also it's like you bring a gift, they they give you a gift. Like it's like a mutual exchange. I feel like community is very, very strong. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I don't feel like it's superficial at all. Like, you know, they'll check in with me after I'll check in with them. But in general, I think it's like really, really difficult. Right. Yeah. How, so how old were you when you, when you first took that trip with your grandfather? I was 21, I think. Yeah. Okay. 21. So then it's been ever since then, you've just, you fell in love with that community and that vibe of just getting to know people and experience. It's how do you, I guess my question is, how do you experience a culture without being a basic bitch. I know that's what your whole thing's about, but like, 
you know, even saying the word like, you know, I want to travel. I want to experience culture. Does, does, is that phrase in and of itself a basic bitch phrase? I don't know. That's such a good question. And I like, I play with it. I question it myself all the time, right? Like I have like, so I want to learn so much and I want to like participate so much, but mm-hmm. I'm like, am I being a basic bitch by like intruding on people's lives? Yeah. Um, but I guess like, I, because of my platform, I have, I get so many invitations to travel. Mm, So I feel a lot better, but like for the average person, like I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. We're, we're just talking with um, a beautiful soul uh, just this last week, uh, Hillary McBride. And we were talking about um, religious and, and, and uh, spiritual practices and the appropriation culture of Mm -hmm. those. And like how we, as people appearing into those spaces, always want the warmth and the depth Mm -hmm of the actual spiritual um, experience without having to invest the time into it. And I, I feel like people can get into that same kind of mindset with travel and, mm-hmm. and wanting to, ex- air quotes, experience culture because they just want the like fast and dirty version of it, but they want to feel the richness of She called it a sense of, of home. Yeah. You know, that home. Yeah. yeah. And I, I guess like that's a common theme where I feel like a lot of Americans are like lost people. <laughs> Yeah. Um, trying to travel and find their like place because we don't have like community here. So yeah. you do have like the desire to find it elsewhere because you're like, like, and those bonds have been built like over generations. And here in America, it's such like a hodgepodge of people. I mean, like when you think about like we're all immigrants except for indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. and um. And we're all, like, detached from, like, our original, like, locations, geography, our food, our history, our ancestors, like, all yeah. of those things. So yeah. I can totally see why so many Americans want to travel, including myself, because you're just, like, have this desire to connect yeah. that you don't get. <laughs> well, like, clearly it travels with you. It, it's so much about the location. Because, like you said, like, in Austin, Texas, you're in a space where you don't really feel comfortable reaching out to your neighbors in that kind of capacity. But then you go somewhere else and you said you have friends that that last lifetimes. So that's super cool. Um, do, you, do you feel like do you feel like you bring your cultural upbringing with you? Like like your either like your Hawaiian uh, like upbringing socially or your Austrian or Korean um, backgrounds. Do you feel like those kind of help you in those spaces where you can bring that with you or or do you feel like you just grew up as like somebody in the states and and you're experiencing things just outside of here yeah um I think we all bring our cultures with us uh everywhere we go and that um if you're always having a cultural exchange always yeah. um and that's kind of where like stereotypes develop right but really it's just a cultural exchange and a cultural experience and they are learning just as much about you and your culture as you're learning about theirs and that's why right. I say like to be very careful about what you're transmitting to other people about your culture. Cause you could be like the only person that they meet in their entire lives from your identity. Right. And they're going to forever think about you in this way and like pass that idea on. Right. Yeah. That's so um, true. You, and you also talk about, you know, on your, on your platforms, you talk about the, um, the erasure of Asian history voices and representation and then, you know, you advocate for Asian and Pacific Islander Americans in the media. Was this, was that part of the inspiration of starting How Not to Travel or did that element of activism kind of come later? Um, I would say the activism came a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it was always there underlying and that like, my culture, like I said, like I brought with me everywhere. So, and it affected how I viewed and judged other people. So for example, I was on a bus in Guatemala and I saw the Spanish guy put his feet up on the dashboard of the bus, like mm-hmm. right in front of the face of like the bus driver. Yeah. And like in my culture and a lot of people's cultures, like you don't do that. Right. Like you can't like this bus driver is like doing you a favor. He's giving you a gift of like time and like security right and like you're putting you like just don't even care about his like comfort or like the fact that your feet are in his face like you could never I could never do that right in my culture and so I was like why like what like how did these people grow up to the point where like they just don't consider like I guess it all about 
uh, boggles down to like individualism over collectivism. Yeah. And I'm like, how can you be so like, why are you not thinking about your community? Like, even if it's like a community in the bus, right? Right. And so I feel like I wanted a space on the internet for like people like me who grew up with the same values and morals as me to have a space on like where to go, how to travel, who to give your money to, all of those things. So it's not necessarily like Asians, but just like people who grew up like me. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I personally, I've gone on your website and, um, there's a, there's a couple places in the future, you know, COVID's put a little damper on some travel, but, um, there's some places that I was like, okay, I, I wonder if she has information on, um, you know, X, Y, and Z and, and you did. And so that was, that was interesting and helpful for, for me to read. And then you have, um, I was looking intentionally for places that have been really, um, what's the word But there's like, we went, we went to Jamaica. Okay. So when we, we went to Jamaica in, in, on our honeymoon, it was like a really odd time for us because we felt like we were just coming in and it, it felt like exploiting, but at the same time we like spent our time talking to the locals and they're like, no, we're happy you're here. We're happy you're here. But it just felt weird to me. And so I feel like I wouldn't, and that was like at a resort situation. And I think you had, you had, I think Mexico on there and I haven't gotten a chance to look at that, but I'm interested because there are places that I would want to go, but I wouldn't want to be exploiting culture and exploiting um, people's heritage just for my like week of quote paradise. Um, Yeah. Because I I mean, I feel like that's really important. Um, So, I mean, anyway, I I just think that your, your work is really interesting in that, in that area. That's like in the, in the places that have been um, exposed and kind of, Stripped. Right. Like what's the difference between tourism culture that actually helps an economy right. or versus the exploitation of the people that are there that are being underpaid so that you can have, be having an experience. Yeah. Having. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and like, I think that there's so many travelers that are like cognizant and like socially aware that like, you know, what their footprint leaves. And so there is a demand to, find those places in order to like learn without like what like having an even exchange of energy yeah um but I think that there's so many people that don't even think about it at all yeah <laughs> yeah I I agree I mean I've experienced it <laughs> firsthand and um just I don't know if you know um much about my background but um I have a white mother and a brown father. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a Ojibwe and um, and Mexican. So um, his grandmother was Aztec, and or his mother was Aztec, and his father um, was Ojibwe. So um, I I understand. You said it's my oh, at the beginning of our conversation. It's my like white <laughs> uh, my my out. white side coming out, whatever. And I yeah. and I get that, and I. I understand that, you know, you, you said that the activism part, you know, for um, Asian and Pacific Islander Americans and media, you being an activist for that and, and passionate about that kind of came later. And I understand because for me, it, it, it was kind of the same. It was always somehow streamlined a part of like my activism, but very, very like, I don't know, almost, almost hidden. I didn't really know that that was my a driving force for me. But in my uh, deconstruction of faith and then, you know, leaving the Christian music industry, which led me to um, a lot of my questioning and deconstructing of just my lifestyle and things like that. Later on, um, it was brought to my attention of how much of my my faith and how I grew up um, was so (laughs) colonized um, Mm -hmm. and how so much of my heritage one has been a, has been a part of me and is a part of me, but also at the same time has been so um, has itself been been colonized. Like my experience of my heritage has been colonized, and so now that's a part of my activism. Now it's a part of you know not just um, deconstructing people's experience of purity culture, um, but now it's helping people understand how their faith potentially has. Um, oppressed other people and how it began, how their religion began, just 
my curiosities about religion and about faith and about spirituality has kind of blossomed now from even my own, um, my own heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, you're right on all of those things. Uh, I, I too, uh, grew up Christian and, Mm, um, going to Sunday school every day or every Sunday. And my mom still is a staunch Christian. Um, like every time I drive off my car, like when I travel at her house, she like reprograms all my radio (laughs) channels to like Christian radio, (laughs) which is that's a whole nother level. (laughs) It is like frightening, which is like, I'm sure where she's getting all of her political news. And I'm like, can you stop listening to this? This is like the devil actually, but yeah. Um, until I took a class looking at Christianity or it actually um, looked at Jesus as a historical figure mm-hmm. and not as like a religious figure. Yeah. And it just like totally blew my mind. Yeah. Like I was like, um, I was hoping I you was were like, going to get into that because that, that yeah. was my follow up. So you just go there. We'll, we'll just, we'll follow up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it just was such a great class and it made me question like everything I ever was taught. So I kind of like left, the church, I guess you could say, uh, for a while. And I said that like, I was going to, um, I was going to read the Bible myself because I was like, I don't trust anything that I was taught now. Right. And, um, I'm just going to read the good book myself because (laughs) how am I practicing something? And I don't even know what the book says. And like, also like when you think about it, like, why are we reading like paragraphs in a book? Right. <laughs> like books are meant to be read in completion. Right. And um, I was very confused. Anyway, so it took me five years, but I read the entire Bible. And yeah. now I have like a whole newfound appreciation actually for Christianity yeah. and, and, and like the information and knowledge to combat falsities uh, about Christianity and to like be a Christian that like is completely opposed to like how Christianity was used to indoctrinate so many people and and oppress so many people. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't feel like threatened or like, I don't feel um, offended when people have like really adverse reaction to Christianity because like, as you're talking about purity culture, like same, like I, there was so much shame like growing up. Absolutely. And now, like, I mean, I post ass shots on Instagram and don't <laughs> care. So obviously I've like healed that part of myself, but yeah. it was really, really hard, like getting rid of it, you know, growing up. So. Oh yeah, for sure. I, um, the, some of our most, um, I guess popular episodes are about purity culture. So it is something that we do talk a lot about. And, you know, I myself found that, um, that freedom, I think, uh, yeah, I recently posted a <laughs> thirst trap shot of, for Indigenous Peoples Day. <laughs> Yay! Um, and it's so wild because, you know, it works. And so that's that's the crazy part and wonderful part because it's fun to kind of like just show off your butt and be like, yeah, I, yeah. I look amazing. And also, but Columbus. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so it's, it's I don't know, I, one of our, one of my heroes, I don't know if you follow her, but um, her name is Jo, Jo Lumen. And she she talks about how part of the resistance has to be our joy, um, mm-hmm. and I just go back to that all the time. Like if I'm not if I'm not living with joy, then I I've I've let the oppression oppress me. <laughs> um, yes, and so yeah, I just anyway, I'm just going back to the um, the whole energy of what what it is that you do, and yeah, I love it. And you know, I was going through your your slides, the the ones about Jesus. And I, you know, I'm really just obsessed these days with hearing people's perspectives of who Jesus was, Um, you know, and you talked about brown Jesus, you know, the the real, the real Jesus. (laughs) The the real OG that actually did the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not Nickelback. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The real one. Um, And in that story highlight, you also mentioned um, another element of Jesus that you think to be true, which is cool. Some people think Jesus and Mary Magdalene hit it off. Um, but would you care to share what you, you think Jesus, his, his relationships uh, romantically or not, 
what do you think Jesus was involved in or not? <laughs> um, this is like such a sticky question, but if I'm going to be real, I think Jesus was gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or a lot of people say like two-spirit. <laughs> yeah. But, um, sure. but I, I like the term two-spirit in this case because it implies like um, a spiritual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So like in a lot of, well, in a lot of indigenous cultures all over the world, like when you are, um, I guess like, I, I know two spirit is not like a pan national word. Mm-hmm. It's only specific to certain tribes, but mm-hmm. like it, like so many indigenous peoples have a designated spiritual, um, like, I don't want to say gender, but like, you know, like two spirit people like have some sort of spiritual place and culture. Yeah. They, they were um, upheld. Like two spirit yes. people are upheld and were um, leaders in tribes. I I know my tribe specifically um, would have two spirit people as um, alongside like the elders and um, the medicine people. It it was it was part of the 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 clans and the tribes and um, was very important and upheld. And um, yeah. Anyway, so I just. I think it's yeah. two spirits really interesting. I think he totally was. And um, he pro- and he did have that like designation. Um, and also the Bible talks a lot about like a beloved disciple. Mm-hmm. And granted, there were more than 12 disciples and right. there were female disciples. So he could be talking about anyone. But right. I'm assuming that it's probably a man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also like who cares though? Like. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's what I think is so curious. <laughs> or it's it's just so fun to like ponder because it we is. don't know. Like we have zero definitive answers about any of it. And and why not? I like giving yeah. per- people the permission to explore that because we we don't nobody none of us can really know, but I think I like that idea. I think I I was I kind of played around with the I call it try on. I tried on the season of my life where I was like, no, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, they were definitely a thing. Cause I, I really <laughs> like her. And I think it's just like that whole thing's very interesting. That's probably like more my Mexican side. So I'm just like <laughs> going into that, loving Mary, um, all the Marys. And, but then I think it's really interesting to think of Jesus though as a queer person because then I don't know. It just really, it continues to dismantle the, colonized white narrative narrative yeah yeah and i and i and i like that the more that there could be push up against that push against that i i don't know i welcome that idea so anyway that's why that's why i asked that question because here on this podcast we like to bring up any of the controversial things because that's what our listeners are here for they want to hear about the the ways that people see jesus and and uh, faith and heaven hell afterlife anything it's just it's what we what we all love to talk about here on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think like the two-spirit label is just like, there were, like, and it also like makes sense. Like, you know, there were indigenous peoples in Asia. There are indigenous peoples in Asia or West Asia where he's from or Africa or whatever. And it makes sense that he would have like a designation that is like marked by like queerness. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also think like, I often think about how sad it is that we ostracize like the, like these gifted or marked people, um, and that like we oppress them the most. And yeah. I think about like, you know, people who have uh, epilepsy or seizures or schizophrenia, even like in a lot of cultures, those people are shamans because they like yeah. see things differently. And now I just, I imagine like all of these people like locked up into mental institutions and they actually have like gifts that can like guide humanity, mm-hmm. but we don't have access to those people. Right. Right. And well, so no I just, wonder we miss out on the depth of connectedness to spirituality in the true. States. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so I'm like, this is so like, we need to do better. Um, and so it just makes sense that like when, you know, the colonizers colonized Christianity, they like took away all of our like spiritual guides really. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Keeping people alienated keeps them in line. Well, and on top of that, I mean, in, in just in passing, you guys have both mentioned in a way, um, like the, the, definitive nature between your white side and and your mixed side. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's uh, one thing that I've heard um, families 
on uh, or on her dad's side of her family talk about how they still mentally connect their their um, their Native American or Mexican side to growing up impoverished. And mm. I think that's where we need to start flipping the narrative, whether it's in spirituality or whether it's in our own lives and in our own heritage. Because I, I think once we can once we can connect back to the fact that it's not about the the world doesn't revolve around money. Us as spiritual creatures mm-hmm. don't revolve around money. There's a, there's a richness in those cultures yeah. that that like you said we have shoved away people with any opportunity to have an extra special connection to spirituality or or, or vision of the world. And I feel like if we can get back to the idea that the the richness and the wealth is within our connection to each other and to spirituality and to family and to culture i feel like once we can start flipping that on its head and realize that 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 financial upside isn't the isn't the thing to aspire to and and rooting down to the earth and into your spirituality and culture is i think we'll start seeing a lot more growth in people yes i well i think it first starts with us so like it's to the point where you, you know, like how you say, like your 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 Mexican parents, like all, like see yourself as lesser than, and my Asian mom definitely feels that way, also, and also, and and also because she's Korean, she feels like she's like the ultimate American. Like she served in the military, she is very grateful for America because yeah. of. Um, like there was Japanese imperialism in Korea and then came Chinese or an attempt with the Chinese and then the United States, quote unquote, saved them from, you know, starvation and all of these things. And so she views America in a different light. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also like, none of this would have existed if there wasn't imperialism, period. Right. Yeah. Um, And so you don't have to be indebted to anybody. Like what happened to you was wrong. And it's like, you don't like need, you're not paying anybody forward. And also like the United States got a ton of shit out of it too. So it's not, (laughs) they didn't just do it. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like they didn't just do it out of the kindness of the heart. Like they needed a base close to Japan. That's why they intervened. Um. And so I'm like, it's to the point where I feel like we oppress ourselves mentally. So like they don't even have to, well, they definitely still do it, but they don't even have to do it anymore. Like we do it to ourselves. exactly. And I'm like, y'all need to decolonize your minds, decolonize Mm -hmm. your futures, like decolonize like what it means for you to be successful because like this isn't it. And this isn't in line with like our way of life or like in our culture and like why are we so disconnected to it and when you say like when everything revolves about money like I was watching this thing the other day and they were saying like in what world is a whale worth more dead than alive Mm. wow and I was like that's so real like you know people are looking for like whale bones whale skin whale fat whale oil but like it's a living creature that contributes to our like ecosystem in such meaningful ways like we should keep them alive yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. I think yeah. I think when you're talking about, you know, decolonizing your own mind, um, I know for me personally, and then my cousin, I've talked to her and um, she's Mexican native as well. And, you know, she, she reached out to me um, on Indig- Indigenous People's Day and she asked it <laughs> basically for me to to give like a stamp of approval as we all kind of look for it. She has totally the rights to speak on Indigenous People's Day to talk about murdered and missing women, um, uh, Indigenous women. She had, you know, the red hand on her face. And she still messaged me and saying, you know, I, I, I grew up, I grew up in you know, more like white culture. Am I like allowed to speak on this? And I was like, you are indigenous. You you are native. You absolutely, your voice matters. There's, there's nobody more. I feel like there's just, we feel like there's got to be someone more qualified or more quote, more native, um, which is again, that's such a colonizer mindset of, or, or narrative that we've just adopted. Um, basically what's my percentage? What is my, how did I grow up? Am I around 
native people, that all quantifies your validity of a native person. And I do that. I'm like, can I speak on my native heritage? Am I allowed to post that, you know, um, certain things, even if I have like a white mom, am I allowed? Am I, am I imposing? Am I appropriating my own culture? Which there is a sense of being responsible to, you know, uh, with what you grew up with and trying to be just educating yourself and being smart. Um, but then also I just, I end up getting so nervous and so scared. And that's, again, that's, that's the colonizer (laughs) in, in America in in my native experience. And, you know, that goes back to like erasure culture basically. And I know, um, I know Asian peoples in America and native people are, that is just something that both deeply deal with, I guess is it's complicated because it's something that is the generational trauma passed on because you, know, you talked about your mother being so like loving, loving it because it, it gave her a, um, a better, a better life. But then at the same time, you're like, that wouldn't have happened. Um, that it should, that the first, her beginning experiences should not have happened. Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's something that, we just constantly are kind of re, I don't know, digging back up and reanalyzing and um, healing ourselves, even if our parents are the ones still in a way um, trying to, I don't know if your mom's this way, so I don't want to speak for your experience, but there's a sense of like survivalism um, that, yeah. that my dad grew up with and his mom passed on to him. She gave all of her kids really white names didn't speak spanish to them you know basically try to almost keep the culture away in order for them to to live you know a a good quote american life um and i'm i'm still recover i'm still going through that and asking my dad questions but then at the same time he's he he's really still unsure even of a lot of his what he feels comfortable embracing um, because of what I think he grew up with. So there's a sense of like generational survivalism that again is colonial and is um, something now I feel like people our age are rediscovering and trying to uncover. Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah, I think it's, um, I I mean, I struggle and grapple with this too, so I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect, but I think uh, we have to... uh, we're in a weird generation in that like we're not as assimilated as our parents and they went through like really, really traumatic assimilation. Like when my mom tells me about like the stuff that happened to her when she was like a young, like budding child, like I'm like, I can't believe like you, so many people like made fun of you or hit you or touched you or beat you. Yeah. And I'm sorry. And like, and, but at the same time, it frustrates me when like, you know, she has internalized these things, but I'm like, I can't necessarily blame her for it. Like this lady has gone through like decades of trauma. Um, and so I'm like, I have been trying to like kind of detach from it and that like, this is how she's going to be. And I can, I can only like be there to support her, but like, I have to just do the work differently. Yeah. And, and just like grieve that, like, we're never going to (laughs) see the same, the same, um, because we like have just very different existences. And also like she points out a lot, like I'm mixed race. Like, I don't know what it's like to be like fully Asian mm. and she's right. Like I have like so many privileges that she doesn't have. Yeah. And like she, and I was like, if I have been assaulted like so many times as like a mixed race Asian, like I can't imagine like what she's gone through. And so I like have been trying to just give her a break, even though it's mm. really, really hard, but I'm like, I don't want to like, be another oppressor to my mom. Yeah. Um, but with that said, I'm so done with like infighting between other like marginalized groups. Mm. And especially because our world exists in a binary, like it's only black and white. So like 
Asians and and indigenous peoples like regularly don't ever they get lost. And like when I yeah like and when I say indigenous peoples I mean like all like the all of the Americas like right. including Mexicans yeah. and Central Americans and I'm like you know we are such a small percentage and I know that like well I work a lot with indigenous people that I know that there's so many levels right because there's like people who live on res people mm-hmm. who live off res people yeah. who have been adopted all these things and in Asian culture is, I mean, Asians are similar in that, like, we have generational Asians, like Asians who have been here, like, you know, multi-generations that, like, were brought to replace, like, enslaved Black labor. Then we have, like, you know, uh, Asians that came as refugees or as products of war, like my family. And then we have Asians that are, like, here on H-1B visas who have to prove that they had, you know, $10,000 in the bank account and, you know, lots of money. And so they're, like, a different socioeconomic class. And so, there's all these different types, which makes it really hard to like mm-hmm. unify. And, um, and it's very easy for people to stereotype us. And so there's always one, I feel like there's always this infighting, right? Where it's like, well, you're mixed race. You can't talk about this. Right. Or well, you're adopted. You can't talk about this or whatnot. And I think there are, they are really valid criticisms and arguments. Right. Um, I know I feel weird when I hear adopted people talking about being Asian because I'm like, well, you're like culturally white, but right. but also I'm like, well, that is their experience. And like, honestly, that's also a product of imperialism is that like, why were Asian children able to be bought yeah. <laughs> at such high rates, right? Yeah. And like, I think... Um, and I'm like, okay, Asians are 5% of the population. Indigenous people are 1% of the population. Like, seriously, we can't silence anybody. We can't afford it. Like, there's right. not that many of us here. Exactly. So the more people talking about it, it doesn't matter because ultimately you're talking to like the 70%, you know, white people who benefit from white supremacy. Um, and I don't, I just don't, I think it's like important that there's like, more voices so that people can see all the different nuances yeah. within that. Um, and so I'm just tired of like people turning on each other and like fighting when I'm like, there's like a whole 70% majority, <laughs> like we can be educating and not <laughs> fighting amongst ourselves. Right. Not having to show but. our status cards or, you know, our percentages to, yes, in order and, to speak. Exactly. And it's the same thing where it's like, we're doing it to ourselves. Like they don't even have to do it to us anymore. <laughs> right. Right. That's the sad part. That's like what, I'm constantly trying to dig up and heal because um, that is part of that generational trauma passed down from from generations and from my grandfather and him in the, his boarding school and my great-grandmother who said she was glad she was an ugly girl because she didn't get raped as much in, her, in the boarding oh, school. Oh, my God. So things like that where it's just like, it, that wasn't that, that wasn't long ago. Like no. I knew, I knew my great-grandmother. She was alive. Like I, I yeah. knew her. Um, and yeah, things just weren't, weren't so long ago yeah they're not exactly like it was just recently and like people don't understand that like we're just a lot we were just permitted to like be able to vote and have certain rights and yeah it's not long like people are still living like there are Japanese people that are still living that were in concentration camps during World War II there's like you know like you said like people who still survive boarding school because the last one was closed in 1995 yep like Yep. Not that long ago. I know. So uh, messed up. And people just don't get that it's like so recent. Yeah. I've I've had conversations with people. I was on a, I was being interviewed and um, I won't say names, but they're like, yeah, like hundreds of years ago when it was, and I was like, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> it was not hundreds of years ago, but that's okay. Like, yeah, it, it was, it was a moment where I got to help her see, but at the same time, I was just like, I don't. It's hard because it's something, you know, I grew up around, grew up around knowing. So I have to have grace, I guess, for people who don't know. But then at the same time, I had the other side. I mean, that's just like, no, if you live here, you do your education, like do your research, <laughs> figure it out, <laughs> figure out the last time there was a boarding school like that. Like I just, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that you even, that you know. Um, and you, you yeah. talked about, we just got, a lot of people just got the right to vote, like literally so recently, so yeah. recently. And yes. you also made a, a, a video about the Electoral College, which I found very educational, um, slightly, slightly sad, you know, because that's what the elect- Electoral College is. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> it's really dumb. Um, yeah. But 
even with its stupidity. Um, could you tell us why you'd encourage the listeners to vote, even even with the Electoral College? Yeah. So my issue was that like people were so concentrated on the debate, mm-hmm. um, which was like Trump versus Biden, which at this point, no one's like, at least to my knowledge, like no one's um, not undecided. Like people have made their decisions. There's right. no point for a no. debate. Right. Especially in like this polarized, like environment that we're in now. Like we all know who we're voting. We don't need to watch any more debates and yeah. it's traumatizing everyone. Right. Um, and then, but to me, I'm like, this is a strategic distraction. I'm like, y'all are so worried about two white men who are just going to impress you anyways. But like, if we really think about it, like the, it's the one of the, it's the only, I believe position where like the American people don't have a direct uh, vote that like goes directly to them. Yeah. And um, like, we need to be concentrated on like immediate, our immediate communities. Like what are your local elections doing? Like, what are you doing to, you know, talking about like city budgets, like yeah. city councils, judges, like defense attorneys, like those are the people that are going to affect your like direct life. Yeah. But like distracting people with like the president, presidential election I'm like y'all aren't concentrating on like what you need to concentrate on and also like you're just making yourself more depressed because by like watching content like this like you don't need to watch it to know what they're saying or know what's going to go down right so like why continue to expose yourself it was irritating me and so I, I like made a lesson on like the electoral college and like um and like granted like it's if you're, if you're going to go vote for your local election, you're going to, you know, cast a vote for your president, obviously. Yeah. But I just wanted people to understand that, like, really the electoral vote is dependent on, um, like, you know, people in the rural communities. Like, yeah. I, I gave the example of, like, Texas, where the five most populous cities um, in the past two elections have turned blue. Mm-hmm. And so, like, literally the majority of people in Texas have voted blue, but because of how the electoral college distributes their representatives it gives more power to those in the rural communities, which are usually like oil people, farmers, like, and they're predominantly white. And so my state turns red. So yes, I'm going to cast blue, but like, it really doesn't matter in my case because my state is going to turn red. Um, And it's just not, it's not fair. I mean, I'm going to vote anyways, but I just want people to like relax. Like you can do what you can. But like really fighting your mom or fighting your your grandma about who they vote for is like a waste of time. Like you need to really concentrate on like your local elections or like have these conversations with your white friends because who yeah. live in rural communities or their parents live in rural communities because there's so many white people coming into uh, awareness and like trying to be better and trying to like have the information and knowledge to educate their people and are looking for pe- to people of color for help because they right. do want to support. And so I'm like, y'all like, let's re-strategize because like, it's, it's, Oh, I just see so many people like wasting their time on their family members. And I'm like, they're traumatized. Like you cannot heal that. Like it's right. best to go to like people looking for help and looking to like change the minds of their communities and family members. And so for me, that's why it's important to vote because locally, like we ha- we're so much stronger. And once you change local elections, that has a trickle effect up until like Congress and Senate. And then you can, you know, then we can have checks and balances for the president. Um, and that way, like you are counted, like you don't want a pipeline going through your neighborhood. Right. Vote. Like, right. you know, like these are all things that you can vote for. Um, like your, the environment, like where, you know, budgets are going towards maintaining, parks and putting in sidewalks and all of those things like that's really important to us and it can it all like the president doesn't determine like our entire lives right so I just wanted people to recalibrate to focus on what's important and focus their energies on convincing people who or at least like arming people with knowledge willing to listen in order for them to convince their family members because I think we're all so exhausted (laughs) with the pandemic (laughs) and you know racism and all these things that I'm just like we need to conserve our energy yeah um and focus it elsewhere Yes. Yeah. And, and, and feel productive and powerful. Like, okay, I did this research, like this is what I'm voting for. And then also, um, I'm, I have a, a lesson coming up this week, I believe, um, on like how to run for office yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people think that they can do that. That's like unreachable, but I'm like, yeah, because no one ever taught us. Yeah. 
Yep. And so I have like this really young uh, Ethiopian immigrant who I think he's like 26. He's like a special ed teacher. He ran for Congress. I'm like, how do you do that? Amazing. Um, you know? And so I'm like, yo, we could all be running for office yeah. instead of like complaining about the people we're running for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the thing is like knowledge is passing it down because that was not given to us. And for a reason, like they're not going to hand you the keys to the kingdom. Right. Absolutely. That's so true. Well, I'm excited to, to hear slash read what, uh, your new <laughs> lesson coming up. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll be sure to be checking that out. Um, well, yeah, you spoke on the pandemic and your, your, your platform talks about travel and, uh, have you been able to do much traveling? Um, so I just traveled domestically, Mm -hmm. um, for right now, I am going on my first international flight at the end of October to test it out. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've traveled during the pandemic, um, all pen, uh, all. So for me, I have uh, there's lots of communication between my friends who I travel with and almost all of them live alone. Yeah. So they are already self-isolated and I'm self-isolated. So we like consent to quarantining or self-isolating beforehand. Yeah. We travel to meet each other and then we do all outdoor activities. Yeah. That's um, yeah. And it's been honestly, like I've had a really great summer granted, like lots of stress, lots of anxiety, lots of like lying down in bed and like wanting to cry but also like you know I learned how to fish not really I mean I was like drinking (laughs) wine the whole time but (laughs) um, yeah so I learned how to fish and I like got to see Idaho which I didn't know was so beautiful Um, you know like I just got to do a lot of cool things this summer which we probably all needed to like pause and reset um and granted like yes I traveled I just haven't done internationally but I definitely was on a plane um yeah and I'm I mean, assuming you have some of the, like, have you written how you've traveled during this time, like on your, your website? Do you have tools for people to kind of look, look at and learn from? Yeah, I have Instagram slides. Yeah. I should yeah. definitely put it on my website, but yeah, I had like, I made infographics. I daily, not daily, but I regularly go through the new scientific studies that come out. Um, yeah. And honestly, like after April, I believe, um, there has been, well, before April, before like mask mandates, like all of the stuff with the airlines, like there, you could definitely get COVID-19 from an airplane. Yeah. Um, but after the April mandates, like I've only seen one, uh, study that said that the, like one person on the airplane contracted COVID-19. Mm. Um, but it's wow. not, it, it never turned into like a super spreader event, yeah. but I mean, granted, like who knows their studies are slow to come out. Right. But it's really hasn't because of like the upgraded HIPAA filters and all these things like, and mask mandates and social distancing, which is questionable in and of itself. But yeah, <laughs> there hasn't, it hasn't been a, uh, a source yet. I don't know. We'll see yeah. Um, yeah. of any sort of super spread event. So right. I've just taken, taken the measures that I have been like, um, that have been suggested by, uh, the World Health Organization, and I've just tried to live my life with the new normal. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I so. get that. That's again, going back to the joy thing. <laughs> and, and I, yes, a joy. And I also feel like people aren't thinking about the people who, like, people were so excited to travel before and want to have the local experience and blah, blah, blah. And then during the pandemic, completely forgot about those people who give them that joy. Right. But on the other end, like I have so many, because I'm in travel, I have so many friends in tourism and like, you know, the cowboy that I usually work with has to sell his horse because he needs to eat. And like, how mm. is he supposed to like have a job after this? Or right. like scuba dive instructors selling all of their equipment because they can't, yeah. no one's like, you know, buying things. So it does irritate me a little bit. Like granted, everybody should stay safe and do what's comfortable to them. But I'm like, if we're not looking out for it, like we need to look out for everybody. And like, you're not, you're not allowed to enjoy those people if you're not thinking about them now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's how I feel. So I have been trying to travel like within my comfort level, but also doing what I always do, which is like give money towards you know, local establishments, local places, and like ways that are safe and I know how to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think so, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it seems like the moral of the whole thing that we've kind of talked through here is just like 
be conscious and aware of the people around you, mm-hmm. respect spaces and and show up and be present in who you are too. Yeah. Is there yes. um can you give yourself a little shout out here so people know how and where to find you? Yes. Um, okay. So you can go to my website, www.hownotchtravellikeabasicbitch.com. But most of my content is on Instagram at hownotchtravellikeabasicbitch. You can listen to my podcast. We're about to launch season two, COVID edition. Yeah. Um, it's called, yeah, it's called a How Not to Travel podcast. Um, and it's produced by Ochenta Studios, which is a the first podcast studio to have their pod all of their podcasts translated into other languages so it is offered in yeah it's it's offered in spanish as well um and then i today i launched a grad school seminar so any poc wanting to get into grad school especially indigenous peoples you can click on my link or click on my instagram and find that so you can attend if you want to get into grad school for free wow um and I think those are all the things that I do. <laughs> I think. <laughs> For right now, my, yeah, my Cuba trips. I mean, if you would like to attend a Cuba trip, we have like a study abroad for adults program, a five day intensive where you learn from like eight experts in Cuba um, about like economy, organic farming, uh, the medical system and like a socialist or communist economy. Um, like that operates outside of capitalism. Like we are launching, we're going to continue with those in 2021. So they can also sign up. Yeah. They can sign up on the website or on my Instagram. Amazing. Well, you only do a few things. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. I love it. Everybody can gain something from the things that you do and the work that you put in. And um, of course she also has uh, for the listeners, she also has, her links to support her as well uh, financially. So I encourage you to do that as well um, because none of this comes at, uh, well, all of this comes at an emotional and mental um, labor and we need to pay people for that. So guys, go check her out and support her. Um, You'll learn a lot and you'll enjoy her thirst trap photos. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thanks guys for listening and until next time. Bye. Bye.